Welcome into Words with Wallace. I am your host, Nick Wallace. Uh, we're coming at you with a bit of a Celtics vibe check. Uh, was certainly hoping uh, the vibes would be a little bit higher when we, we got around to this episode, but uh, as you guys can see, <laughs> as you guys just heard, we are joined by a very special guest here. Um, the Celtics were rolling a little too hot when I decided to do a Celtics podcast last week, so I had to search far and wide for the most negative but still a diehard Celtics fan that I could find. My good friend RJ Rosazza joins us today. RJ, how are you feeling? Good, yeah. Thanks for having me. Talk about just a perfect storm of having me on. Grant Williams goes to the line. I'm just like, miss them both. And I know they're losing in overtime, and I'm just going to – this is just the perfect situation for me to come on here <laughs> because what a choke job. Like – Buddy, maybe you should stop worrying about you and your like Batman masks that you wear in the post game and freaking work on your free throw shooting, big boy. Oh man, that's a great uh, a great summary of how most of Celtics Nation is feeling right now. Um, if you guys couldn't guess, we're coming at you. It's Monday, March sixth, uh, right after the Celtics. I think they ended up losing by four to the Cleveland Cavaliers, a game in which they were leading almost the entire time. I'm pretty sure the first time they fell behind was. Uh, with seconds left in regulation, they ended up, you know, obviously tying it up and, and sending it to overtime. Um, and it marks off uh, basically a little bit of a slide for the Celtics here. They've lost four of their last five games, um, all to Eastern Conference and potential playoff opponents, depending on how the seedings uh, shake out. Um, so, Arj, I wanted to turn it back over to you. Um, you know, what was your thoughts when, you know, of course, just to kind of set the scene a little bit, there's some controversial calls on, on both sides at the end of regulation where Donovan Mitchell seems to get a phantom foul that sends him to the line uh, to eventually tie up the game. And then we have, you know, basically five seconds left in the game. We have no timeouts left. Uh, the Celtics have to go the full length of the court again. No timeouts to advance the ball. Um, and Peyton Pritchard, Lil PP, gets the ball, takes it 94 feet to the basket. Unbelievable that he's even able to get a look at the rim. Uh, it looks like he gets fouled, but there's no call on that. Grant Williams is in the right place at the right time, goes to tip the ball in, and he's fouled and sent to the line for two free throws. Uh, wanted to, to get your thoughts at that moment and, and, and hear really about I was surprised that they called both of those because up to that point, they seemed like they were letting them play. Like The Celtics were driving the ball to the basket when Cleveland was going on those runs, and the refs were not blowing the whistle. And then when Mitchell brought the ball to the hoop there, that was not a foul. I mean... It was like that's a phantom foul. He didn't even get touched, and I don't think it was a foul coming down the other end too. And that's just a typical NBA game where the refs can't help themselves at the end to get themselves involved. Like just let them play. Like you don't need the freaking like both those games. It came down the free throws there. At the yeah. End then. Absolutely, and I think that it's pretty interesting because to Joe Mazzulla's credit, and we'll talk about him more in a little bit. Head coach of the Celtics. You know, something that he's been widely criticized for is his use of timeouts and, and, you know, late game, you know, management decisions. And it seemed like he did a great job where he had, you know, he used timeouts as Cleveland, you know, made a couple, uh, you know, they, they pushed on there. I think the Celtics were up by like 10 with like, you know, about seven, eight minutes left or so. Um, and, and Cleveland was inching back. He used a couple timeouts along the way, but he had one in the back pocket to use for that challenge. And that's the frustrating thing for me. It's, it's one thing to get that call wrong in the moment. It was a terrible no call. Mitchell goes to the basket. Grant Williams was as straight as up and down as you could be in that moment. And, you know, they... they yeah, that's that's such a tough call to make because it's like, do you challenge it? Yeah. You risk it getting, then you lose that timeout and you can't advance the ball. But, and, I mean... Pritchard did his job. I mean, he I couldn't believe nobody really picked him up on Cleveland. They let him torpedo completely across the court. Absolutely. So, uh, I don't and, know. 
and he's coming in straight off the bench too. They they made the decision to put him into the game where he hadn't been in for a few a, a while. I think I don't even really remember the last time he was even in the game. Maybe at the start of the fourth. But you know, for him to come in, have the presence of mind, like, hey, I know I'm quick. I can get to the hoop in you know basically six seconds less than that and get off a decent look. And then, you know, we spend the whole replay period looking at the Pritchard take, thinking that he's the one getting fouled, at least we did on the Celtics side of things, just to have, you know, Grant end up at the line. But um, we talked about this right before we started recording, but I thought, you know, something about Grant Williams' stupid face when they're just sitting there. And of course, you know, in his defense, like, it was a masterful job of icing him by both the Cavs and then just the situation that, uh, he found himself in because, you know, there's all this time they're replaying. It's a foul on Pritchard. It's a foul on Grant. Was Grant Williams tipping attempt before or after the buzzer? Like, you know, we weren't sure of all that. So Grant's just sitting there for a while, not even knowing if it's him or Pritchard at the line. But they show his face, like, you know, once it's it's known that he's at the line and it didn't exactly exude confidence. And then the big point that we touched on was Donovan Mitchell comes up and, and says something to him. Uh, and you just see uh, the quote from Grant Williams. You see his lips, Donovan Mitchell's face to the or back of, the, of his head is to the camera, and you see Grant Williams go, "Oh, I'll make both of them. I'll make both of them." And that's the some... was got in his head big time. And I think they said before, coming into today's game, Grant Williams had made four shots since coming back from the All Star break. And like, yeah, I don't know if you noticed on Saturday night with the dunk contest and everything, he was there, like All Star weekend, <laughs> courtside, know, like, buddy, like. I think he thinks like he's like a main character or something, but like, why don't you go spend some time with your family? Like, All Star Weekend is for the stars, not these guys that are the fourth, fifth guy on the bench. Like, he should probably have been meeting with a dietitian or something during uh, his break because, yeah, a lot of baby fat on that that guy. Yeah, yeah, you uh, you touched upon some things there. I think yeah, I think you're right. It was a lot of Grant Williams, a lot of uh, Jose Alvarado. They would cut to courtside as if I remember a time in which it was like Dwight, LeBron, Durant. Those guys sitting courtside for All Star Saturday night, and now nah, we had. What is Cornette doing on the court too? Like you had texted me, like he's he shouldn't even be anywhere near an NBA court, in my opinion. And I'm sorry, the thing he does where he jumps is so bushy, <laughs> and he looks like That's a complete terrible. clown out there doing that. Oh man. I don't know, I, well, I, I think that big guy depth later, but I don't. Yeah, I, that, that's one of my concerns going into the playoffs here in about a month and a half. Certainly, and we'll touch upon that more when we get to Joe Mazzulla and some late game management. But you know, overall, I think overtime it looks like that. You know, just to kind of focus back on the game that just happened against the Cavs. Um, you know, the, it was pretty the vibes, and not only that, I, and we'd be remiss to say that it was it was like getting slapped in the face three different times at the end of the game because you had again there's there's virtually no time left. I think there was like what 0.8 seconds or something like that when Grant was shooting the free throws. The game is tied, so he just needs to make one of them. You know, he front rims the first one, and then you know there's there's all these substitutions. Everyone gets their big guys in the game, at, you know, just to make sure that if if there is a tip situation that both teams are adequ adequately prepared. Another 45 seconds goes off the clock. Grant's iced even further. Further, um, and then it, it's in and out on the second one in his defense. So not only are we, are we as Celtics fans pissed about that, but then Marcus Smart flies in from outside the arc and gets a hand on it, and that actually looked just as close as the second free throw attempt. So we have three misses with with less than a second left in the game, all the, all of which could have sealed their fate in a game where again. The Celtics are missing Jason Tatum, they're missing Al Horford, they're missing Rob Williams, and we're playing a Cleveland team at home on the back-to-back -back off of a double overtime game against the Knicks, and so vibes are fantastic heading into that fourth quarter. Like, we're just like, we're not even supposed to be here. I mean, we yeah, had talked exactly. about it before. Would stole, that would have been a huge game 
the steal. Like you said, on a back-to-back, you have no Tatum. I, when I saw that Tatum was out tonight, I'm like, I mean, like, I'm not going to kill him if they lose this game, but, I mean, this is going to hurt them again in the standings. Like, if we were to talk three, four weeks ago, I'm like, but they're getting the one seed. I'm not even worried about it. Now, what are they, two games behind Milwaukee? Somewhere around there? Like, we're coming down to, you know, first, second week of March here. Like, they they got to pick it up. If they fall behind three, four games, like, that could be it. And, like, we can go – we'll talk more about their ceiling later and we can talk about home court and stuff. But this seemed like a game I'm like, wow, this is – this is going to set them back on the right path. And like I said, no Tatum, but still you come away feeling disappointed because it was a game. They still had enough offense where they should not have blown that lead. They had Brown chucking up awful threes, clearly, especially in overtime. I think they had that had to have had tired legs. That's the other thing. You have back-to-back losses like this and back-to-back nights and both go to overtime. So now you have all these miles put on these guys' legs for two losses. Yeah, and it was a pretty obvious situation, especially for a guy in Al Horford, for him to be out with just, you know, basically a rest day, a maintenance day for him. You know, you felt that, you know, the big man minutes we'll talk to more in a sec, um, and that were a little bit questionable that I felt at the end of the game. But just to, again, recap the Celtics' last five games, they lose four of their last five, all the Eastern Conference opponents. You know, this is, again, we, we just briefly touched upon the double overtime loss to the Knicks last night. Um, you know, the Cavs lost in overtime just now. They blew a 28-point lead to the Knicks, or excuse me, the Nets, um, you know, which was the largest blown lead in the NBA um, this season, um, which is, to, to the Celtics' credit, I'm pretty sure they had like a 28-point lead in like the first quarter, so there was a lot of game time for them to uh, end up. They had five points with like three minutes left in the first quarter in that game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, bad. really tough situation for the Celtics, but... Um, you know, that, that leads us to today and, and a Celtics vibe check where we're going to be touching on, um, you know, the coaching situation first and foremost, and then, um, a few other, uh, healthy Celtics debates along the way. So, um, with that, RJ, anything else to add on, on the game tonight before we get into Joe Mazzula? No, no, we can jump into it. I'm good to go. All right. Perfect. Well, um, this leads us to, um, what I wanted to do. I think this is a really interesting time to evaluate Joe Mazzula. 34-year-old, first, co- uh, first season coaching the Boston Celtics, obviously in the aftermath of, you know, losing Ime Udoka in, in a bit of controversy right before the season started. You know, just to kind of recap the Celtics' timeline, they've been atop the East standings basically the entire season until they, until basically exactly a week ago in which the Nets, uh, suppl- or excuse me, they lost the Knicks and then they were supplanted by the Bucks atop of the, season, atop of the Eastern standings. Um, and now it's like, I feel like this is, this is a time where, we understand he's 34 years old. We understand he's, he's a first-year head coach. But I think all that cute storyline, like, you know, you know, wow, I can't believe we're up here again type stuff is starting to wear off because it, it's nut crunch time. It's, it's, you know, the playoffs are right around the corner. You're about 15 games out from the end of the season. Um, I wanted to open up the floor to you on, on how would you evaluate, um, you know, Joe Missoula this season? How, what is your confidence level in him heading into the playoffs? And um, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but give him a letter grade for the season as well. I, I hate trying to judge NBA head coaches because it's such a tough sport to do. Because it. it's a player's league. It's not the NFL where you can just tell in the NFL when a guy can't coach. In the NBA, it's so different. Like, I mean, Greg Popovich, all the success he had. But if you don't have the players, you're not going to win the games, especially in a situation where Missoula steps in. He wasn't selected as the head coach. And you don't know how much credit to give him. And then you don't know how much to actually kill him. Because, like I said, it's a player's league when the players don't show up. I mean, to be fair... B, B minus. I'm not going to go worse than that because they're still up there. But I, I'm not, I haven't been overly impressed with him, but I also haven't, like, I don't know. Like, we could talk about the timeout issues. Like, maybe sometimes he doesn't have the best in game. 
management. And I know the Celtics removed the interim tag from him within the last few weeks. And I that I, I wonder if they think he's the guy for the future, or if it's one of these things where they don't want to go into the playoffs with the players not knowing, like, if he's the guy going forward. Like, this is your voice in the locker room going past the season. I don't know. But, yeah, I would go B. B minus at the worst, but I wouldn't go above a B for me. That's nearly exactly what I had. And I I think the key point that you touched upon there that I meant to actually do in kind of the open of this segment is you're absolutely right. It is so like, I think the hardest thing to do in any sort of sports analysis job is evaluate coaching because at the end of the day, there's so many different variables that go into this, um, especially in basketball where you got only five guys on the court and and above all else, it's going to come down to the amount of talent and, and the players in your roster and whatnot. Um, so it's really difficult. At the end of the day, it just comes out to like, you know, most people are just on their couch and they're looking at the wins and they're looking at the losses. And then, you know, they're only judging the surface level stuff that's really easy to understand. Like they're not going to be like, oh, you know, that the play calling here was questionable. You know, the, the even the lineup decisions um, could be easy to evaluate. But even that gets tricky when you're, you're looking at like a 12 man rotation. Um, so you end up falling back on things like timeouts like you touched upon. Right. Like he's been often criticized because at the end of the game, he's. A player's coach and he lets his guys play and you saw that in the next game um, just obviously is a recent example where last night you know at the end of the game there's I think 15 seconds left and I want to say it was regulation it could have been the first overtime but I think you're uh, thinking of the same play that is coming to my mind right now I think Brown was holding the ball till like two seconds and they gave it to Tatum in the high post and he's like by the three-point line I think you switched it. I think Tatum had the ball and Brown was in the high post. But yeah, exactly. And and Tatum's waving his arm and Grant Williams is out there and clearly doesn't know the play. Like and then he ended up taking a timeout, which but again, it's it's moments like not even moments like that as much, whereas, you know, I think he's been most often criticized for like when a team is on a big run and you know there's a needs to be a momentum shift and he's just kind of letting his guys work through it and play through it and not make a lineup change or anything like that. Um, and I think that is really, you know low on the totem pole in terms of my issues and Joe Missoula. And I think the difficult thing for Joe Missoula and the situation that he's been given, in addition to him, you know, inheriting this team, like right before the season, like you said, he wasn't exactly selected. He was just in house and he's inheriting a team, you know, coming off of finals appearances that, you know, the Celtics are really good and there's really high expectations. And not only that, they're a deep team and they're a team that has eight players. I would argue, and I'm, I'm sure you might agree with this, that you would feel comfortable being out there at the end of a game, right? I think, you know, our traditional starting five, if you will, and and Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, and Rob Williams, of course, and then guys like Brogdon, Derek White, and Grant Williams have all proven that they're also worthy of being out there in the right lineup. My level of concern with Joe Mazzula is that I, at this point in time, do not trust him to have the best lineup for that specific matchup and game out there on the court. I think that is the problem because we've seen so many different guys step in and this roster like, you know, Brogdon has had moments, you know, White has had moments, Grant has had moments, namely in the playoffs last season where depending on what the defensive matchups are like, depending on who has the hot hand, any combination of those guys, the only certainty that we really have is that that Tatum and Brown are going to be out there. Beyond that, it's all who has the hot hand, what does the defensive matchups look like? And so I think that is the problem. That is my lack of trust in Joe Mazzula. And I think... You saw that on display, um, you know, namely within this this five-game slide that they've been on a couple different times. Like, I feel like Derek White specifically has been on fire lately. He was playing fantastic yesterday. And you had a guy in Grant Williams playing 40 minutes in all the crunch time minutes of, of the overtime, uh, both overtimes yesterday, out there on the court when Derek White 
was just sitting there stone cold on the bench. And like you mentioned earlier, you're right. Grant Williams, before the game tonight, had made four shots since the All-Star break. Four field goals um, were made by Grant Williams since the All-Star break. It's been six games. Like, that's insane. And so for him to not have, you know, there's a difference between trusting your players and, uh, you know, maybe he's trying to be, you know, more get more continuity between the core guys because we have had so many injuries. But what are your thoughts on the late game you know, decision-making and lineup choices from Joe Mazzula and your trust in him having the right guys out there for the matchup. Well, yeah, I think this kind of comes down to him again, getting promoted within. Like, do these players respect him and does he have a good relationship with them? Because does he feel comfortable enough taking some of these guys out? Like, if he doesn't feel like Smart is the right guy for the situation, does he have the balls to take him out? Is that going to, you know, is Marcus Smart going to throw a fit if he does that? Like, and that's the thing, like, with Ime, I think, you clearly saw they turned the season around halfway through last year, that he had a way to somehow get it, get to these players. Uh, and we don't know if Missoula has that. So, I mean, I don't like this lineup that he plays where he's got Tatum, Brown, Smart, Horford, and Rob Williams. I think we saw that in the last couple of weeks when Smart's come back, that I don't like that lineup. Uh, I mean, we'll get the Marcus Smart later, but, I mean, I would have no issue putting, if, if we're going to play, I would rather have Brogdon potentially white in over him in some situations, but I don't, I don't think that's going to ever going to happen. Uh, so I won't get my hopes up uh, for that. Yeah. That's pretty much what I got on that. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's really fair. And I think that's, that's a level of concern, right? Like you have guys like Marcus smart that, you know, is only a couple years younger than the guy and he's been in Boston for what is this his eighth or ninth season now? Like he's so beloved like clearly. And so, you know, he's a prime candidate where, you know, you have guys that I would argue that have straight up been better than him for the majority of the season and Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon that play the same position. And yeah, you're losing something defensively, but you're not losing that much because you have two above average defenders right there. And so it's tough. And then it's like, well, when do you go small? Do you go small? You know, would you have liked to see them go smaller in a game like uh, the Philly game, you know, that we ended up winning? That was the one game we've won in this recent slide. But it was still a little rocky at the end because he was completely married to the idea of having the, you know, again, I say the traditional starting five when everyone's healthy, even though we haven't seen it much this season, you know, Smart, Brown, Tatum, Al, and Rob, you know, when those guys are out there, you know, he, he feels comfortable just, you know, rolling with that no matter what. And so, you know, that is my level of, of concern with Joe Mazzulla. It's, it's not as much the timeout thing. It's just, you know, being able to, to identify the right lineup. And again, it, it's totally dependent on the matchup and being able to make that decision on the fly and, you know, having the balls to, to make that tough decision and be like, hey, man, you know, this just isn't the matchup for you. We like the looks that Malcolm's getting. Like, Malcolm Brogdon's shooting 46% from three this year. Like, you know, you're going to want to have him out there. Yeah, you're going to want to have him out there in the corner, like, you know, for an open look, which he's going to get if we have Tatum and Brown creating. So I don't know you if know. you've noticed this with him, but after games, he can be real, like, short and kind of defensive with the media, too. I don't know if you've seen any of this. He's quick to bite their head off going back at him. And that, to me, is like, dude, like, you got promoted from within. Like, you've only been the coach here. And, like, is the media really already getting to you? And, like, you, this is a big market team. What if things go south big time? Like, I don't know if he's going to be able to handle this pressure from the media. And I think you I think you want some of these, like, media members on your side, too. Because, I mean, he'll be the first, like, he'll, he will be this. if this team collapses, he'll be the scapegoat. Like, it's how it's going to go. Like, it's not going to be the players, it's going to be him. So you would think it would be, he would try to get some of the media on his side. But I've seen some audio of him be, like, real rude to some of the, like, journalists that. And, like, let's be honest, some of these Celtics journalists are, like, 
are fan, pretty much fanboys. Like, there's a couple of respectable ones, but, like, they're not, like, asking you very critical questions. They're asking you about the timeouts you use. Like, the fact that you get so defensive about the timeouts shows that you're, like, insecure about how you've been using them. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. That's something to just look – I just – when you've only been here for this long, like, this is nothing. Like, we know how the city can get uh, – so I don't know. I, it's not that bad yet, but that's something to look if this team continues to struggle. Yeah, and that's something I I don't have a, a ton to add on. Just being based here in the Dallas area, I'm, I'm just not as exposed to local sports talk. It's just not as easy for me that's, to access that's that kind exactly of stuff. Where I heard it, <laughs> yeah, on the radio, which makes sense. But I, I've heard a little bit of it, you know. And I think in you know my limited exposure to it, I kind of like him having that edge to him, just because you know he he understands he's a first year head coach. He's a young guy. He's not even older than some of the players in his rotation. So you know you have to have that edge. You have to have that confidence that you know you're not going to second guess yourself, but. You know, just to put a bow on it, again, I, I think you're right on with the letter grade you gave him. I'd say B- minus is fair. Uh, because, again, big picture, you know, we're in a, in a great spot. And I think that, you know, I don't foresee us, and we'll talk about more of this about this later, but I don't see us uh, falling any farther than the two seed in the East. I think that's still kind of our floor. I think we're going to finish out, you know, re- decently strong. I don't know if we'll be able to overtake Milwaukee, but, you know, if you told us before the season you're going to be a two seed in a really loaded Eastern Conference and, um, again, there's no controversy, right? There's never been any, you know, there's never been any big story out of Boston this year like we've seen with some other teams, young teams uh, contending in the opposite conference. Uh, I think that it's been Just nothing but pop. Yeah, league. exactly. But I that, actually it, want to ask you, do, do you think he'll coach again? Because if you remember when Steve Nash got fired, there were like some rumors heating up that he was going to, that the Celtics were going to fire him and he was going to go to Brooklyn. And all of a sudden those rumors just vanished and they ended up going with what, Vaughn or Jock, whatever his name is. Jock Vaughn, yeah. Yeah, that makes me wonder like, did Brooklyn go either get some bad PR backlash or did they go do their due diligence and found out, you know, I mean, we really don't know. We don't have to get into the details because this is so long ago. We don't really know what exactly happened with the Celtics. So I wonder if it's much worse than we think, and that's why they didn't hire yeah. him. But we don't have to get too much into that. That was just something that. No, that's a, that's a good question. Talking about him. Yeah, we'll keep it quick. But I think that you know, I think he will. I think he absolutely will. I was actually just thinking about that weird Brooklyn situation earlier. My two cents on it is that. You know, Brooklyn was going, we're still, you know, just coming off a lot of the Kyrie anti-Semitic BS, you know, yeah, storyline that they were point. dealing with, with the movie he tweeted out or whatever. Like, I don't want to get into that too much. I haven't read up on it in a while, but a string of really disparaging Kyrie comments and, and anti-Semitic, um, you know, events, you, you could say, coming from Kyrie that they had enough negative PR circling around them. And who knows, maybe that was around the time where they could already see the writing on the wall that Kyrie was going to want out and Durant was going to want out. Like maybe they were already in on that. Like I know that was kind of early for, you know, they, they were still, you know, they had a nice little stretch after that, but you know, maybe they were just kind of sitting there like we have enough bad PR as it is. And Joe size, like, how about we just don't the owner of the Nets? He's just, how about we just, we just don't deal with it. But that being said, um, I think he'll definitely coach. I think he's probably on the short list of like the most desirable head coaching candidates, I would imagine, especially now that Atlanta moved on from Nate McMillan and they picked up Quinn Snyder a couple weeks ago. I think Quinn Snyder was right there as the other name atop the list. So I'd actually be pretty surprised if he doesn't get a head coaching gig. Um, I think this is going to be, and again, this is, um, you know, assuming that there's no other further information that came out in the Celtics scandal. If, if the information that's out now kind of stays at, at what it is or, or something along those lines, I, I could see he may get the job somewhere else. But um, with that, um, RJ, you had a pretty controversial tweet yesterday. Do you mind uh, uh, telling the viewers exactly what yeah, you tweeted I, um, and I give think, me your thoughts behind that? Yeah, I just think Marcus Smart is the most overrated Celtic of all time. I'm so sick of this guy 
just it's just the experience of how much the fanboys around here overrate him. And you know me, I'm an anti-fanboy, and I can't stand it from the guy. Like, he just – he is the perfect player for the Celtic fanboy. Like, he's out there. He's got his hair dyed green like he's a 14-year-old boy. Like, the, they love it. And I'm sorry. He's the third best guard on the team right now. I have the numbers right here. I And like you said, yes, he's probably the best defender out of the three, but the drop-off – isn't that big and the other two are better offensively so and that's that's my point but I don't think that it's ever going to happen where uh Missoula will ever you know not I'm not saying take him out of the rotation but at the end of these games play the other guys I don't think that'll ever happen uh since he's been back he's been back for eight games I think his first game back was did he come back the game before the all-star break I think or maybe there's one he I think so back Okay. Yeah, well, around there. He's been back for eight games. They're 500 since he's come back. He's uh, been a minus player, if we're talking plus minus, and six out of the eight. And if you were to total up, he's a minus 40 in those eight e. games. So, yeah, not, e. not exactly good. Uh, yeah, I, I just – I he's not a bad player, but, you know, defensive player of the year, I think he won defensive player of the year because he had his two stars crying about it to the media all year, and he was pretty much – promoting himself to win it which i don't really ever see anybody do like to be crying to be like acknowledged uh, i think he has a huge ego too which uh i don't know if you saw before the season started that uh tatum and tatum brown and smart were on the cover of si yeah and smart was on i mean i 100 percent believe that sports illustrated didn't want him on the cover and that tatum and brown were probably like you know what let's just bring this guy in because we don't want his feelings hurt you know we have to you know <laughs> child gloves with him uh, so yeah, that's kind of the core of my issues uh, with him. Um, yeah, I don't think that's yeah, that's pretty much well, all I got with that. No, I think that that's fair. I mean, you know, I think you're right. I, I disagree with you on on like you know, if you're looking at the all time legacy of Marcus Smart and his Celtics career, I, I'd push back on it. Like again, I don't know, you know. You're again. You're you're in a, a different. You're exposed to a different type of sports talk media. You're way more into this Boston sports talk scene than I am. Um, so I, you know, I can't imagine this the stuff that you hear on a day to day basis. But for me, you know, I think you know on the national level anyway. I think you know he's he's probably properly rated. Maybe he's a little overrated. But I do absolutely agree with you. This is without a doubt the least valuable and the least essential Marcus Smart has ever been in, in the entirety of his Celtics career to the team. And again, that's not even. You know, it's partially because, you know, he hasn't been shooting the ball great lately. I, I think, you know, some of the late game turnovers have been, or not even late game, but just turnovers in general. He's not even like, I don't even know what the number of, of turnovers is, but like the turnovers that he does make, it's like, what were you even looking at? Like, he definitely last leads the team. Five and turnovers. Five <laughs> yeah, turnovers like... last night and he got fouled out. And yeah, another issue with him is I think Brogdon and White know their role. They know how good they are. Smart thinks he's better than he is. I think he shot the ball from three, 14 or 15 times last night. I'm sorry. I don't need Marcus Smart shooting the ball yeah. that many times when I have Tatum who played last night. Like, I don't need that. That's not good basketball. That's not how you win. That, that, that's no. Yeah. I think post injury that you were discussing, that was, you know, it was right before the all-star breaker around there or whatever. Like I think since then he's definitely regressed to a little bit more of the shot selection issues that we saw from early career Marcus Smart and like late to, you know, come to terms with the fact that, like, hey, man, you're a third best offensive, you know, option. At, you know, and then again, that's at, at best you're going to be the third uh, most, you know, the best offensive uh, option to score the basketball on any given play. Like, you know, I think last year, 
you know, he really took his game to another level, though. And I think that overall, the reason why I'm, I'm more likely to be able to defend Marcus Smart is because I think if you look at the Celtics' just bigger picture again, like the last five years, the big turning point, I would argue, and I know they've had successful teams in the past, I think they hit a major turning point exactly halfway through last season, right? They went from being a middling team in the East to, you know, rapidly rising the standings. I, I think they finished as, like, what, the two seed, but they were far and away the best team in the NBA the second half of last year. And I think that the main thing that they unlocked last season was the previous years, you look at the point guard position of the Celtics, right? You go all the way back to Isaiah Thomas, and then you had Kyrie Irving, and then you had Kemba Walker. And what do all those guys have in common? Well, they were big-name point guards that were really great on the offensive side of the ball, but were all major liabilities on defense, right? When our team finally was like, you know what? Maybe instead of like looking on the free agent market or looking on the trade market for a guy to bring in at the point guard position, let's just look at what we have in-house in Marcus Smart. And I think that that defensive jump, because again, the defense this year has been slightly disappointing compared to expectations um, you know, based on last season, but last year their defense was insane. That's why every defensive metric for them was to the moon. They were the, you know, the, the NBA analytics community's, you know, hands down choice to win the finals is because there was no one to hide. You know, we were hiding Isaiah Thomas. We were hiding Kyrie Irving. We were hiding late stage Kemba Walker. Like, you know, you go from those guys being a weak link to like, who are, who is your weak link out there? Like, you know, is it Tatum? Is it Brown? Like, I don't know. Is it, is it Al? Like, I don't think it's any of those guys. You have five extremely above average defenders out there. And I think having the ability where he, you know, he didn't take a massive leap offensively, but I did think you saw a part of his game where he was quicker to defer. He was, you know, I think he did come to terms with his own mortality a little bit and being like, you know, if this team is going to take a leap, it's going to be doing it on the backs of Tatum and Brown. Um, and no, maybe I it was because I agree with you. And I just think it's trending in the wrong direction again. And he's going yeah. back to the smart before last year. I thought, the second half of last year, he understood, I, I'm not one of the main guys. i got to facilitate the basketball, and he's not doing that now. I do wonder if like, the defense has to, a lot to do with these big teams. You know, They made it to the NBA championship last year that they think that they can you know, flip a switch some nights and take some nights off. I think there's a lot of that in the NBA, and that's come back to hurt them a lot. It came, if you remember the game a couple months ago uh, when they were in Oklahoma City and got murdered because I just – rolled the ball out there because I thought they could win. It was so bad. AC had, had no SGA. Like, they, I think that's what happens with the NBA a lot. Uh, but, yeah, I don't – yeah, the defense has not been great. I'm not overly concerned about it because I do think playoff time that they'll – everybody in the NBA, like, all this, like, load management and guys just kind of taking nights off is – it's everyone's going to be going full tilt come April. So, yeah, I'm not too worried about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, smart in general, I, I think that you're right on in saying, and we are both in agreement, that right now his his value to the, you know, and, and his role on the team is, is, is not as valuable. It's definitely the least essential it's been in his entire Celtics career because, and, and again, it's mainly just due to the fact that our team is, is, is the best it's ever been and, and roster construction-wise uh, and the history of Marcus Smart's Celtics career. So, um, I think overall wise, though, I can't, I, I don't, I definitely disagree with you on him being the most overrated. I guess I don't have another Celtic in mind to supplant him as that. But, you know, you look at the accolades, he does have a defensive player of the year um, award, obviously, last season. He's got three first team all defense. And I would actually go as far as to say, and this is going to drive you absolutely nuts, I think there's a path in which you can see. 36 hanging in the rafters in the Boston Garden at some point. It's going to take a lot of happen. things. I, I think a lot of things have to go right. I think you need a championship, the, the first and foremost. You need to have a, yeah. a, a championship title. All it's going to take is one. All it's going to take is one. Yeah. He's going to go up there. 
the fact that his name's going to be hanging up there with somebody like Larry Bird is absolutely sickening to my stomach. Because, you know, that's like a good basketball player. Yeah. Uh, but, no, yeah, I, the, the city loves him. I mean, ownership loves him. And he's a guy that if they don't deal him, probably could be here. I, I'm not going to say a guy's going to be here the rest of his career because that's not how the NBA works anymore. Yeah. So I think but, yeah, I think no, he has to be, though. I have for that. I think he has to stay. I think he has to be an exception to the, you know, the widespread trend that, you know, nobody plays, you know, 20 years, 15 years, their entire career for the same team. Like, I think if he checks that box and they do get a championship at some point and he maintains, you know, the level of production that he's at for the next, you know, he is getting up there a little bit. I think he's got to be 29 now, I'd say. Um, But, you know, if he keeps up the same level of play for the next three, four years and, and checks those other two boxes, I could see it doing that. But a lot of the reason is because of, like you know, basically the campaigning he's already doing. The green hair you touched on it. Yeah. Every every media story he's he's captain good PR, which you know it can be a little corny at times. Even as a Celtics fan, I'll admit that. But you know, there's far worse storylines to be associated with. So I'm, it's, I'm, it's I love Marcus. It's a trend with the fanboys. They've done it. You know, Daniel Tice, Kelly Olynyk, <laughs> Semi Ojale. I mean, there was I don't know if you know the guy uh, Green Greeny or whatever that works for Barstool. There was a oh, he's the worst. Now, like semi yeah. stats guarding Giannis on like sixteen possessions a few years ago. Like they they do this with every player, but Smart's like on a different level because of how much I think the city loves him and because he's he's obviously better than those guys. It's like a different type of like overrating him because he is a real NBA player. Where guys like Daniel Tice and Semi, I mean Semi Ojale, even in the league anymore. No, I don't can't think so. be. He certainly yeah, cannot be. So. <laughs> he certainly so. shouldn't be. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it is, it, it is. you know, I, I'm not, like, the biggest fan of, of him getting his jersey retired someday and all that stuff. But if he checks those boxes, I'd say he's had about, you know, and, and things go the way we were just projecting, I think, that he's had. For him being a role player and through the lens of a role player, it's a pretty picture-perfect role player career arc he's, he's on right now. And um, he's doing all the right things off the court, so I could see him getting there. But he does have to check uh, some pretty before, big boxes. Before we move on, I could definitely see the Celtics putting Deuce's number up there in the next couple of <laughs> Pushing for that little kid too. <laughs> little two Tatum shot. He's like to get that in there at least once. But uh, yeah, oh, we're gonna talk about creepy fanboy obsession. Uh, that's definitely one of them. But I'll uh, leave it at that. Oh, Deuce Tatum catching a stray. Oh man, that's nobody's safe in this Celtic slide right here. Nobody's safe. Well, we're gonna move. Time, apparently, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, we're gonna move on to a more uh, positive storyline. I would argue, uh, and we actually didn't even talk about this before. Um, but obviously I think the Celtics overall have certainly had a, a successful season. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, what Celtic has impressed you the most as we sit here with 15 games left to go, what Celtic has impressed you the most this season? Yeah. So I think Brogdon is kind of the easy answer. Like white, cause I think white really stepped up when smart was out for the last month or so, but I've even been impressed with Al Horford, who I don't think has been as good as he was last year, but he still has been like, he's reliable. And right now he's their they're top big because you can't rely on Rob Williams to stay healthy. So, and you know, I'm no bit fan of average Al, but <laughs> I, I've been impressed with him. I think he, he's old too. Like the guy's in his mid thirties and I don't know. He, he, he seems to always get the job done when they need a big three. He'll hit it. Uh, and Tatum's up there for me too. He just continues to take a step every single season. In my opinion, he's a top five player in the league. Uh, Honestly, I think he's closer to Luka than people give him credit for. Uh, but, yeah, those are the, the three guys. It's hard to really, like, pick a single guy because they've, they've all been pretty solid. Uh, I was even trying to think of, to be really negative, like, who I'm the least impressed with. 
That's kind of tough too. I mean, the smart's an easy answer, but yeah, that's yeah, that's who I would go with. That's fair. See, I you know I I really prepared two answers. I really tried to hone in on and, I, and just in case you picked one of my guys, but um, you know Al Horford was my backup because I was like, no chance he he goes out average out. But I'm glad you showed you showed pop <laughs> some love by right there on Twitter for the record. Yeah, I actually was going to check in, RJ. You were blocked by Anna Horford in what, like probably like 2019? Is no no even, update, no progression even earlier than that. I mean, I would. It was with his first stint with the C's, right? It, yeah, it had to it have was been before. I would love if I could connect with her and apologize <laughs> and get myself unblocked. But I don't know if Twitter blocks run out eventually. But I think as of I think I checked a year or two ago, and she still has me blocked. But. You know, maybe tough. one day we can meet up someplace. And yeah, I mean, come on. When, when he came back to Boston, you, she should have found a way to reconnect with some of the uh, the more vile Boston fans, such as yourself. But uh, yeah, anyway, back to the, the original question of the most impressive Celtics this season. I think two guys really jumped out to me. I felt like the obvious answer was, was Derek White. Um, he's someone that I've just been blown away with. I think Brogdon's a great choice, too. I just didn't really consider him... Um, just because this is obviously his first season with the team. For, for Brogdon's standpoint, the number one thing, I, I thought he was a fantastic player from the little I saw of him you know, during his time with Indiana, but his whole thing was health, right? Like it was just, I, I knew if he was able to stay out there, he'd be a great player. And credit to him, he's played, I think, 54 of, of 65 potential games so far, somewhere around there. And that's, you know, basically the league average is missing, you know, 10 to 20 games. Um, you know, with how things are currently uh, structured with load management in the NBA. So that's a really healthy season for Brogdon. He's been great. But, you know, Derek White mainly, he's been fantastic, you know, just to kind of, you know, actually looking at the stats, they weren't even as as stark um, of a difference from, you know, comparing his stats this season to last year's playoff run. Um, obviously, we picked him up around the trade deadline, but I felt like, you know, you know, there was definitely an adjustment period there toward the, the, set, the back half of the regular season. And I wanted to look at his playoff numbers. In the 2022 playoffs, White averaged, he averaged about 9-3-3, three, and three, um, 36% shooting from the field and 31% from three. Um, he's been much better than that this season. He's up to 12, um, 4, and 5, um, and he's shooting 46% from the floor. And the big thing is he's got, you know, he increased his three-point percentage 7%, um, going from 31% to 38%. And I feel like that is what you feel more than anything else out there is that um, I feel comfortable with Jer- Derek White shooting the basketball. You know, you had, you know, I feel like the question we us Celtics fans asked ourselves heading into each and every game throughout the, the playoff run last year is, all right, what version of Derek White are we going to get? Are we going to get the shy, you know, reserved Derek White that, you know, it, it, he's like one of the few players you could visibly see second-guessing himself throughout the game. And I feel like if there's any, you know, just to go back to Joe Mazzullo, if there's anything he's done really well, I feel like it's building up White's confidence. And, you know, maybe it's just because he was, you know, the designated starter with all these injuries that we've dealt with, and he's started about 40 games for us this season. Um, but he's really the obvious answer. And then, um, you know, you touched on Al Horford as well. I, you know, his numbers, you know, post-All-Star break have been fantastic. He's 14-7-4, and four, and the really incredible thing is, uh, he's shooting 59% from the field and, and a whopping 62% from three. So um, that's insane. RJ, I, I have to you know throw myself under the bus here. I don't know if you caught it last night, but uh, during the Knicks game, Al was on fire again. He was like five of seven from three at some point. And I was, I think I tweeted out, I, I you know haven't seen Al Horford miss a single open three since the All-Star break. And then promptly, as you remember, the game-winning shot, <laughs> he came up a little short. So I got to take credit for that. But... It's crazy just how easily the Celtics got Brogdon and White too. Like it's, it's just insane in the NBA how you can get impactful players for literally nothing. And now it's gotten to the point where guys, teams are throwing five second round picks at teams, and you're getting yeah. like decent role players, which I, 
I really don't get what five first-round picks is going to do for you, but, hey, I mean, we got Brogdon and White for some pretty good steal for both of them. Yeah, I mean, I think the key to doing to pulling off deals like that is you're you know you're targeting really solid role players on really bad teams, right? Like, what is the value of a Marcus Smart, obviously a Derek White, a, a Malcolm Brogdon, like a role player like that, you know, that really raises the ceiling of a championship team, but doesn't really raise your floor a ton, in my opinion. So, like, you do deals with a team like Indiana or a team like San Antonio that could care less about winning. You know, you're able to pick off, you know, really solid players because the only players they care about keeping are, you know, if they have a really young ascending star like a Tyrese Halliburton, San Antonio doesn't even have anyone that I would put in that bubble. Um, and then they care about their draft picks the second most, right? So the fact that, you know, Brad Stevens in his short time, you know, as general manager has been able to pick off a few of those guys for the low um, has been pretty awesome. So uh, I think that covers it. You know, my final answer would be Derek White uh, and then Al Horford would kind of be my backup. I just love Al for what he's doing. And um, I think most importantly, too, Al's been averaging 34 minutes a game since the All-Star break. And he's, he's 36. He's two years older than our head coach. So um, definitely some concern with the miles we're putting on Al right now. But you know, he's, he's an honorable mention as well. But anything else you wanted to add on Celtics that have impressed you this season? No, I think those, those are pretty much the only two guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like I said, Tatum, and we'll get to here with the ceiling of the team, but everything's going to run through him come playoff yeah. time. And I just, I keep, he just impre- impresses me year after year. These last couple of years, he keeps getting better. And yeah, he, he, he's a bona fide superstar. We know that. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with that, you know, we've obviously discussed the coaching, you know, a couple of the different role players and people that have impressed you. But, you know, in this slide right here, again, I'm, I'm looking at the standings right now where. You know, it looks, I think, actually, I take that back. I don't know if these standings are up to date, but we're basically two games behind the Bucs and um, for second place in the Eastern Conference. What what do you feel is the absolute playoff ceiling of this team for the current season that we're in? I think they could still, despite this last week, they could still go out and win the entire thing. I, I think it's good. The road getting there, I think, is going to be tougher now because Milwaukee has all this depth. And let's be honest, they gave us a test last year in the playoffs and Middleton wasn't healthy. Middleton's going to be healthy. Uh, I'm not going to go as far to say that the season's a failure if they don't win the entire thing, but I do think it's going to be a huge disappointment if they can't even get back there. And I do think home court is pretty important. Uh, this isn't the NHL, the NBA, like home court matters. Like the majority of the time, the home team wins. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen because we beat Miami, who had home court over us. So it's not like, you know, make or break if you don't get uh, home court. But. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say, yeah, anything short of getting to the like at least getting back to the NBA Finals is a huge, huge failure of a season. Yeah, I mean, I'm pleasantly surprised to hear you say they could still win the chip because I I agree with you. I mean, I think this last slide has been discouraging just from a health standpoint. You know, to obviously lose you know close games, and I think it makes it worse that you're obviously losing the teams that you could potentially face in the playoffs. But I definitely still think that this team has a ceiling of winning a championship. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, a better question, like you were saying, is what it, what is a disappointing season and what does that look like? You know, for me, it, I don't, you know, if they get back to the finals, obviously that's fantastic. But I think it would, st- if they lose to any team, in the, if the Celtics lose to any team in the Eastern Conference that's not named the Milwaukee Bucks, then I'll be disappointed. Because I still think that as currently constructed this team, we've had Philadelphia's number, you know, for the last, I would say 10 years <laughs> on and off. I mean, I feel like that's yeah. a pretty safe estimate. Like we've kind of owned them and I think we're a bad matchup for Philly. And I think you need to be able to step on the necks of the frisky teams that we've run into over this last slide. Like if you run into a Cleveland, 
You have more experience. You need to be able to beat that team. You run into a New York team that has no experience whatsoever and is just on suddenly a nine-game winning streak. Like, you got to step on their necks and take care of them in five games. Like, those are the team. And you, even if you run into a, a junkyard dog like Miami in the first round that nobody wants to see, I'm praying that doesn't happen, but it's increasingly more likely if, if we're at the two seed that we'd see Miami. Um, so I still definitely feel like, you know, the, the championship ceiling is still very much intact, and that's kind of my expectations. But... You know, what is your what is your biggest concern heading into the playoffs? It could be anything. It could be an opponent. It could be, you know, the state of the team itself. But what has you the most frightened on, on, on what could prevent the Celtics from reaching their goal this season? Yeah, so this actually just came to my head. I do fear, like, like we talked about what they were like the first half of last season. I hope that, you know, those Celtics isn't still buried deep within these guys. And that doesn't come to the surface here as things continue to get worse. That's a fear. I don't think that's going to happen. When you say those Celtics, you mean just, like, shortcomings from, like, Tatum and Brown and just... Yeah, just, like, the way that they played the first half of last season, where they clearly... I mean, the team was a mess. That's pretty much what I'm talking about. I don't think it's going to get to that point, but that's that's on the back of my mind. I don't think that's a huge concern. Uh, I'm worried about the big guy depth. I don't trust Robert Williams. He's never been healthy. I don't think he's going to be here for the playoffs because guess what? If he comes back, he's just going to get hurt again. This guy should have been dealt when his ceiling was at the highest. They should have brought in a real big guy like Miles Turner. You talked about it in the last episode. All the times they were linked to getting him. He, he's You cannot rely on Robert Williams as your number one big man. He's not going to be there when you need him. And Al Horford, like I said, he's been decent, but Al Horford's 30-something like in his mid-30s. I, I don't like going in and then have the point where we have to have Cornette out here playing. Or Mike yeah. Muscala. It's not a good place to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's you know aligned with my primary concern, and and it's it's similar. But you know, my big concern is I, another thing I spoke about in my last episode was you know just continuity between these teams that could actually win a title and how important that is. And obviously, the Celtics, you know, they've only really added and fortified their roster by adding in you know Malcolm Brogdon mainly in the offseason, but. You know, they have four games where their traditional starting five, again, Smart, Brown, Tatum, Al, and Rob, they have four games where those guys have actually started together this season. And the number of on-court minutes, I couldn't get the exact metric um, before this podcast, but it, it's really low. <laughs> like, it's, it's like less than an hour of, like, in-game minutes, I want to say, or, or right around that mark um, of those guys playing on the court together. And that and that's substantial. And, and you're absolutely right. I think the, the hands down, without a doubt, the, the worst health bet of that group is Rob Williams. It's like, can we count on him being out there? And I think that's even more reason for Missoula to have, you know, more of a willingness to go small at times where, you know, maybe we just get used to having a lineup where, where White is just a fixture in the starting lineup. And then you're bringing in Rob and... Um, Rob and Brogdon off the bench, and then your bench is even deeper. Or even you start a guy like Grant. Like, um, because I do, you know, I feel okay about Grant. I, for the most part, I trust him despite, you know, the, the full uh, Ballard of, of the Grant Williams experience we received tonight with him knocking down his first four threes and then losing the game at the line like we talked about earlier. I still trust him. I think, you know, what he showed, showed in the Milwaukee series last year um, certainly sticks out in my head still where I feel comfortable about him playing those minutes. But... Muscala has been pretty brutal since we got him. Like we, we, you know, we obviously let Vonley go. We have the ghost of Blake Griffin hanging around there. So I think you're right. Sometimes I think I the big Blake Griffin's even on the roster. And I know he started tonight, but <laughs> yeah, he's right. been irrelevant. 
Yeah, no, he hasn't been much of a help for us. But I just think that that general continuity between those guys is is a little bit concerning. And um, I think that that, you know, because, you know, we certainly have more depth at the guard uh, position, even the wing position, I feel pretty good about Hauser as well. Um, whereas the big man position, I feel like you really only have confidence in Grant. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, that drove me nuts tonight, I think, not to totally backtrack. But I just couldn't believe that, in like we were talking about uh, in the Knicks game, you know, they, you know, double overtime game. Grant Williams plays 40 minutes out there. And at the end of, of this game against the Cavs, it's like you have, you know, he, Missoula showed a willingness to go small. He, he made the right decision of having, you know, basically three guards in Smart, Brogdon, White, and then Jalen out there. And then as the fifth guy, he went with Cornette, which I thought was pretty interesting instead of going with Grant Williams, who you played before. Um, and then he switched to Muscala at times. And uh, I don't know. Like, it's just. You know, Cleveland went small, right? Like, they didn't even have Allen out there. They just had Mobley as their one big. I know that you're still giving up a lot of size with Grant out there. But, I don't know. It's just food for thought that I just can't quite wrap my head around these lineup decisions. And that, along with the continuity, is there what concerns me the most. Cornette, Scow was yelling on – I don't know what – if you get the NBC Boston uh, broadcast out there. But he's yelling to Cornette to get back on defense. And yeah. he's, like, under, under their hoop trying to – yeah, and it's like, dude, you're the defense. slowest guy he's out there. And he's on defense. He, yeah, he's got going down and score. It was either they scored or Mitchell ended up going to the line. Uh, yeah, he, he's a borderline NBA player, and I don't like that he's getting. Like I said, does no. that mean he, he's is he going to play in the playoffs? Probably not. No, but these games can't. do matter in retrospect of where they're going to finish. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're right on with that, but. Um, like I said, I still I still like the way that they match up against basically every team besides Milwaukee, which you know obviously who, who got so much better. They're light years ahead of where they were last season, which is obviously the main concern if you're a Celtics and when fan. I say but big big failure. I mean like I don't mean like a, let's blow the team up by any means. I just think it's it would be pretty disappointing because it, like you don't know how long you have these guys for, and I know that sounds crazy because Tatum and Brown are so young, but I mean Brown's not signed long term. We don't know what's going through his mind, and I, I still think the window is very much open. But I mean, these guys shoot their way out of town all the time. It's not crazy to say that that could happen to Brown in the next two years. I don't think it will, but I don't know. You got to take the take every top opportunity you have to go win the thing, especially if they're like they're they're a deep team this year. So yeah, I hope to see him back in the NBA Finals. Uh, if I had to predict, yeah. I think they're going to get back there. I think they're going to beat Milwaukee. I. I I think Giannis is the best player in the world, but to be completely honest, I don't actually don't really love or respect his game. I think if Adam Silver, <laughs> I think if Adam Silver wakes up tomorrow morning and decides like you know I'm gonna have the NBA officials actually call uh, carrying the basketball and travels, him and his cheerleader brother will be working at the local Wendy's. <laughs> Couple, couple strays. RJ was like, "Yeah, Deuce Tatum catches a stray in the first segment, and we're going at the top dog and Giannis with the I next segment about here." The Giannis one. I've been thinking about that for a little bit. Wow, yeah, that's. I, I mean, read about the Giannis take. I'm obviously uh, half kidding, but I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's really fair when a guy of his size can pick the ball up at the half court and go like a torpedo towards the net and carry the basketball all the way there. That's not basketball, but I'm not going to be the guy that complains about how the NBA's play because that's just how it is. So Yeah, it is how it is, and I still think, you know, and just in, in terms of my favorite teams to watch, I'd still rather watch them than watch the, you know, the foul merchants that are the Sixers and watching Embiid do it in a way that I feel like is even less fun to watch and more frustrating, but equally is helpless because you have a guy even bigger than Giannis technically, and, you know, he, he's able to get to the line at such a ridiculous clip. It's like, I don't even know what you're supposed to do as a defender, but... 
Uh, either way, I mean, I still think that the Celtics, you know, it, it's going to be a tough road, Milwaukee. But but kind of looking at the standings here, you know, so you got Milwaukee, and again, this might be you know updated as of as of you know early morning on March sixth here. But you know, the Celtics are basically two games back of the Bucks, and then the Sixers are basically a full. Uh, two and a half games back of the Celtics, and then you have Cleveland closely behind them. But what I'm really looking at here is that I think the top five seeds in the East are essentially set. I'd be pretty surprised to see any team creep into the top five that's not already there. So it's going to be Bucks or Celtics atop, and then I think the Sixers are pretty locked in three. And I think four five is going to be Cleveland and New York uh, Knicks in some order. And then after that, you know, you have the Nets who are probably going to fall a little bit. And I think Miami or Atlanta can rise. But more importantly, just looking at it from a Celtics fan perspective, you know, we're not going to have to play a New York in the first round. We're not going to have to play a Cleveland in, in the you know first round. And honestly, I don't even think we're, we'd have to play them in the second round. I think that our destiny, if I really had to pick, is I think we're going to end up as a two seed. And I think we're going to end up playing a team like... You know, maybe Miami or Atlanta in the first round, and then we'll probably play. Um, we'll probably play Philadelphia in the second round. And honestly, with how we hey, fared against me, don't scare me in the slightest. That team is just reeks of loser. Harden's yeah. a loser, and Bead's a loser. I mean, we beat them, I believe, within the last month or so. And we didn't even have some of our like top guys, or at least we went wire to wire with them. They just we've always had their number. I think. I, I get how good Embiid is. I mean, but I mean, Harden's won scoring titles before. I don't understand. I, I think I've been looking at the stats a lot. He's starting to get a little more aggressive. But I'm starting to like, dude. Can you go like score and do your own thing? I know they have to run everything through Embiid, but uh, I don't know. I just that, that team doesn't scare me in the slightest. I don't even care if they had home court over us. Which I don't. Like I said, I don't think we're gonna fall to the three seed. But no, nah, Philadelphia is not even in the slightest. Put anything yeah, it's me. Exactly. And I think the interesting thing, right, is that as I was saying that and why it's relevant, and I think whoever's going to be the one seed and it's likely going to be Milwaukee. And again, we have a lot left to play and things can change. But again, subject to any crazy injury, I, I really do think the Celtics will end up as the two seed here um, with a chance of getting the one. But, you know, you're going to it's going to be Cleveland or and New York most almost certainly facing off in round one. I don't know who's going to have home court, but those are two teams. We're now one and three against the Knicks. And we haven't beat the Knicks. And, and the one win we have against the Knicks was in early November. So basically like the second week of the season. And then we're one and three against Cleveland. And very famously, all three of those losses came in overtime. So, uh, you know, you talk about a team where, you know, maybe they have our number a little bit. I would say Knicks are pretty high on that list. And Cleveland's right there, too. And, you know, maybe I just think we match up a little bit better against Philadelphia. because a war zone this year. Yeah. Think about what it used to be like the East versus West. It was the West that was loaded the east is loaded now like those teams one through especially one through four i think cleveland's a really good basketball team and new york i mean the, the knicks beat us last night without brunson like they're killed but have they won like like eight in a row or something like that i know they've been playing yeah nine now yeah yeah so yeah well i think with that that kind of puts a bow on the celtics and, and and the vibe check you know it's certainly pretty pretty low a lot lower than i thought it was going to be heading into this podcast especially you know basically being three quarters into the game tonight but uh, I think they're still in a good spot. We agree that they can still contend for a championship. We're, we're pretty happy with Joe Missoula overall, and uh, we'll agree to disagree on, on some Marcus Smart outlook. But uh, with that, did you want to get into uh, a little bit of load management, perhaps? I, I heard you had a, a take on load management yeah, that so you, that's been weighing to, on your mind. Yeah, listening to the episode last week, and you were talking about how you wanted to see the NBA season get shortened. Uh, but like the TV deals and the NBA and these owners don't want to give up all that money. I don't think this is going to happen anytime soon, but I do wonder if these big 
media companies, ESPN, TNT, are getting a little sick of the fact that they pay hundreds of million, millions of dollars to have these primetime games and then the best players not play. It happens all the time on Friday nights when a team's playing a back-to-back from a Thursday or a uh, Tuesday to a Wednesday. And I do wonder if at some point they're going to get a little sick of that and maybe they'll transition to a 70-game season. I don't think it's – I'm kind of – dreaming here. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but I wouldn't mind if the season got shrunk down by 12 games because I'm just so sick of the load management crap. Like, you know, like there's some of these guys are just not going to plan back-to-backs like Kawhi Leonard. He used to be one of my favorite players in the league who I have like close to zero respect for. Now, I I, just the way some of these guys just will not go out there. I I love what uh, Anthony Edwards said in the last couple weeks saying that he can't stand the load management stuff and that, and I don't like... It's not fair to put this on the players that, like, obviously some people are saving up money to go to these games, but it is a little crappy if, you know, there's a kid that has been saving up money or his parents had to take him to a game and, like, these best players aren't playing. And they make plenty of money where they shoot, like, I don't know. I, I It's a hard thing that they would the NBA would be able to enforce that there's going to be no load management. But I, I'm get, I would rather see the season get shortened if that means that it's going to get rid of this crap because I hate yeah. it. Like, I, I don't have NBA League Pass. I hate when I see a primetime game the next night, and I know that the starter's not playing. Like, yeah. it's one of a big name. Like, it happened with the Hawks. A couple like, Young's not playing. And it just, I, I, I do wonder if an ESPN or a TNT is going to get fed up with it eventually. It probably won't happen anytime soon, but, yeah, we'll yeah. see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm definitely a League Pass connoisseur. Uh, it's a self-proclaimed League Pass connoisseur anyways, and, um, you know, the number one thing that I do is when I'm about to look at these games is I go into my, my the score app, you know, shout out the score, prefer them over the ESPN app, and I'll go to the injuries tab and I'll see what's up. Like, I, I just never know because on a night-to-night basis, it's like you, I can know that, you know, Kawhi Leonard's not hurt, but there's a 50-50, it's a coin flip whether he's actually going to play in the game or, you know, whoever. It's, it's obviously not just the Clippers and it, it's, but I think the tricky thing is that, you know, I sit here and I, it, it drives me nuts, and I, I just want to see the best players play. And as someone who, you know, shout out my guy Connor O'Shea, my best friend, we went to a Celtics game when we were in the fourth grade. Uh, it was cat. It was the 2007 season, the year before the Celtics won the chip, uh, and we went to a Celtics Cavs game. So you know, supposed to get Pierce versus LeBron, and they were both out, out of the blue, like they weren't like actually hurt. Like it, it was, and this is obviously way before load management. But I was like. We were crushed, and those were two dog shit teams. Like, absolutely terrible team. Like, you go back to the basketball reference page. It is terrible what those teams look like. So we were like, you know, you're paying to see Pierce and LeBron. You don't get them. You're crushed. And, and I have sympathy for that. But one thing I will say on the load management piece is on a night like tonight, I was like, yeah, it's good that we rested Al. It's good that we rested Tatum because they you played, know, one, you know, 40 minutes. It's hard when you're, you know, I will say we're – you know, we're the elite, one of the elites right now, where we're in a team that has a, a very real championship aspiration, and that much has been proven by making the finals last season. Like, I love being, you know, sitting here and, and telling you I love when the stars play, but it makes sense. Like, it's it's really, like, there's a lot of data that goes into it, and I don't necessarily have it prepared in advance of this podcast to go over. I don't know if that's what people want to hear, but there's a lot of data that says the load management is pretty effective for the most part, and it, you know, certainly helps keep these guys on the court for when it matters the most, and so... It's difficult to combat, and but I do think that something needs to be done, and it doesn't need to, you know, it needs to happen this off season. And my proponent, you can you let. Feel, I, I go think ahead. A bargaining agreement might be coming up. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
and like I don't know how you feel right now. It's the first week of March. I'm just kind of like bring on the playoffs already. Like we're coming down to yeah. the stretch here. Like it's a long season. Like bring on April. I'm ready to go. I'm sure the players are too. I think that's why you see a lot of these guys kind of now they're the playoffs are right around the corner and they're trying to get some extra rest in. And like you said with Tatum, like we. I don't want to see him get rested, but it's hard to not want it to happen when the rest of the league is doing it. And you don't want yeah. him to have all these extra miles on his body come playoff time. Exactly. Like, and more so with a guy like Al. But, make. Yeah. And and what I think, it, it needs to come down to this, right? Like, And it, it makes it difficult because I'm always I'm, – uh, I'm a nerd about clearly the all-star game and I'm a nerd about the all-NBA teams and all that stuff. Like I care about that shit. I think it's cool. I think it's cool to look back through the years and, and, you know, take a look at those lists and, and find out which players were actually the best for their respective time. And so I care about that stuff. And I think the players do too, to an extent, right? Like I think there needs to, the, the number one change that they can make and Adam Silver is clearly, you know, a, a people pleaser and he's, he doesn't rule with an iron fist like David, David, uh, David Stern famously did before. But I think a change that he can make is putting real stipulations on the all-star game uh, all NBA teams, and then all like you know, basically end of season awards, so MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, etc. Where you know, fifty five games is a cutoff. You need to play in fifty five games to be eligible for you know a, an All NBA team or an All Which Defensive is massive team. Because I mean, like we talk about, if Brown makes one of the NBA, All NBA yes. teams, he can get the super max. Like that's millions and millions of dollars. Exactly. Time. Yeah. The All Star Game is just a title, and obviously that's you know you know basically two thirds of the way through the season anyway. So that would have to be like a forty game cutoff or something like that, or a thirty five game cutoff. But for All NBA, you're right; that has real financial implications for these players. But I do think that that is fair for the most part. You know what I mean? To have a cutoff of that, um, and maybe there's some sort of injury clause in it. Like again, I think the other incentive and in the way you could do it is obviously financially, like putting it in these guys' contracts and, and having a minimum number of games but that's going to be take a lot longer to implement because then you're you know dealing with all the agents and there's these deals that have already been negotiated and have their own incentives that are already built in so it would take years for that to kind of come into effect where we i feel need, like need to see another lockout either no no exactly it's not locked out in i think it was 20 11 uh, 2011 it was whatever yeah. year the celtics ended up losing the east finals to the heat i believe yeah uh, i think I think that that tracks, but I'm right there with you. I mean, I'm, I've definitely had it with the load management, but I think it is tricky as a contending team that doesn't mind seeing these guys get some extra rest. But I do think that putting like a firm cutoff, whatever that is, maybe it's not 55 games, but I feel like that's kind of fair um, where, you know, people can be strategic with it, where there, there can be some load management, but there can also be some real, you know, if you have a 10 game injury early in the season, then you're, you really can't afford to load manage too much, and teams are going to have to manage that. But I think that that would be a fair way to at least start the process of you know being able to, to combat this in a way that you know teams still have some flexibility to, to rest guys here and there. But So uh, before with, we move on, what hurt more, uh, LeBron breaking your heart or Paul Pierce breaking your heart at Yankee Candle? <laughs> that was, that was one. To, sorry, we got to meet Delonte West and Justin Reed. No big deal. Yeah, I think just to give the audience some backtrack, what it was Yankee Candle circa like 2004, um, three or five or something. Yeah, we were some like I think we waited in a line at Yankee Candle in like Deerfield, Massachusetts for probably like I mean I have no sense of time. But I we think were, like six, eight, seven but hours. it was a day. Seven hours. It was like a day of our life in a line at Yankee Candle waiting to get an autograph from Paul Pierce, and we could literally see Pierce like we watched him. We got to the front of the line. We watched him wave goodbye, and we got to 
you know, he was quickly supplanted, like RJ alluded to, by uh, NBA legend Delonte West, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately not not revered for his on the court game. Uh, most of his off the court struggles. Hope, hope that guy's doing well. Um, and uh, yeah, and we got his autograph and Justin Reed instead. So no, that definitely takes the cake. Uh, not meeting uh, Paul Pierce and not getting his autograph that day. I think that really scarred me for life. Still, never, still don't even have a Paul Pierce autograph, and that was my first favorite player. So. Thanks for bringing up those wounds in the midst of a terrible Celtics vibe check. They're my wounds too. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Oh, the other NBA topic I wanted to get to is a, quickly is Ja Morant. Uh, I don't know if you saw the story that came out tonight too that apparently there was a players only meeting that was held and Stephen Adams was the one that held the meeting, obviously a respected veteran in the league. And yeah. Ja Morant still goes out to the club and pulls out a gun at a club. And it, like, like, how stupid are you? Yeah, like, that's bad. You want to do that and then you're <laughs> posting it on social media? Yeah. Like, like, uh, like, I think it's tough and just I, I don't want to you know go too far in depth on it because I think a lot of this stuff with the John Morant situation is uh, a lot of hearsay right now. I know the league is investigating seemingly like five different issues with the guy. But just to quickly do a backtrack, there was a, an early report that John Morant may or may not have beaten up a kid like in the summer, which was a bad look, obviously. He was like a 17-year-old, so... Almost an adult, but certainly certainly not an adult still uh, by, by the, the, the word of the law there. But um, so that's a tough look. And again, I don't know if that actually took place. And then more, more importantly, there was a, a, basically an issue after I think that the, uh, the Grizzlies had played the Pacers. And it was an event where like after they were, I think they were headed like the team plane or something like that. It was certainly after the game where I think some staff on the Pacers, maybe some management, um, you know, maybe training staff felt like threatened and that there was potentially a red dot spotted on one of the guys after being in a conflict with, it might not have been John Morant, but it was definitely his like posse people that John Morant was in a vehicle with. So in the aftermath of that surrounding, you know, something that in, in the realm of gun violence and, and the Grizzlies have obviously been sliding that I talked about in a previous podcast, they've been on um, certainly a downward spiral, you know, record wise wins and loss wise compared to where, where they were early in the season. And then, like you mentioned, John ja Morant importantly whipped out a gun on on what appeared to be a gun on Instagram Live in the I early hours of the morning. Because I, th- I believe it happened in Denver. Is, uh, uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. Too. So I mean, it's uh, a bad Memphis look. This is up there. They're two in the standings. I don't think they're the best team, but like you're, they're still trending in the right direction. And to have your best player out acting like a complete idiot. A month before the playoffs. Yeah. I just, it's not going to end well if he keeps surrounding himself with these, like, you hear the people he's surrounding himself with. They're not exactly good people. And then even when the Memphis got into the scuffle, I, uh, at, uh, I wanted to say the, the Staples Center, but it's called the Crypto Arena, whatever it's called now, with, uh, Shannon yep. Sharp. When that whole thing happened, his dad got involved. Like, yep. I hate the Grizzlies. You no, I, 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 I'm right there. Yeah, I'm not a Grizzlies guy. Sorry, Norm. Norm might be the only person that would ever listen to this podcast that's a Grizzlies fan at this point in time. But no, I think it's a, it's obviously a terrible look. I think just the frustrating thing is that they're going, they have all this negative PR surrounding it. And there's nothing he could have done more, you know, more of a self-inflicted wound than, all right, let's set up, set up the camera and let's take out the blicky and wave it around. Like that is like no one's fault but his own in that situation. Did he have a you know a few drinks in him? Probably if it was the early hours of the morning, and you know clearly he wasn't in the right state to be making that type of decision. It's it's just terrible. But I think the crazy thing is that you know he's one of what I look at it through the lens of is he's one of five dudes with his own signature shoe with Nike. Like he's in that like Nike has always kept their signature shoe 
deals like you know a lot of people are sponsored by nikes and they wear you know the general nike shoes or they wear lebron's but to have their own shoe like he took the Kyrie spot Kyrie, we watched a guy fumble that bag early in the season with all the stuff we talked about earlier with Kyrie. they give it over to john morant and it's like he does one of the only things you know possible to blow it it has to be an off the court thing it's nothing gonna nothing on the court is gonna end this shoe deal really before it gets going so I think that's really disappointed, but I guess my hot take of it all is I think it'll be fine. I think it, I think this blows over. He's he's currently suspended indefinitely by the Grizzlies, but I think it ends up being two games because they're a competitive team. Um, I don't know if you have this any thoughts on where you think this is headed. Just real quick, if I know there's rumors that the NBA eventually wants to have an expansion team in Vegas or move a team to Vegas, that will be a disaster. <laughs> a hard pivot. another hard pivot to Vegas. I I think it's it's a market that could support an NBA team, but oh, I think I the rumor I think that would be I don't think that would be the issue. I think I mean we all know. Oh, know, just the Vegas. Yeah, I yeah. Think nightlife would be. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how the Raiders. I mean, we know what happened with the whole Henry Rugg situation. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know That's what. Else, yeah, I don't know what it's been like with the other players, but. Yeah, I, I could see the uh, – what I will say, if, if there's a Vegas team, I expect their home home winning percentage to be much higher than what it is on the road, unsurprisingly. It's going to be like guys like Harden are going to be exhausted. You're going to expect some low output on big-name stars when they come in to play the Las Vegas Gamblers or whatever they end up making their logo. I don't think it would be the Gamblers. I'm not feeling very creative right now. But, uh, yeah, I think, that, I think that puts a bow on, on most of our NBA storylines, unless you had anything else here. No, no, that was it. Uh, Perfect. Uh, I just – just some notes from the week uh, I had, uh, like the Luca Booker. They got into like that little uh, scuffle yesterday. A little tiff, st- tiff, if yeah, you will. I can't stand Devin Booker at all. Like I, something about I don't know if you've seen the clips with the playoffs last year where he was like taunting Luca too, and like apparently Luca's oh, yeah. one of the nicest guys in the league too. And honestly, Booker is nowhere near Luca's level. Yeah, they're not. I can't. No, I can't stand that. And then just another quick thing is. People, I saw this clip of uh, like all the legal screens, Draymond Green sets, and I watched oh, yeah. get a part of the uh, Lakers Warriors game, and it was incredible. I noticed it like forty five seconds into watching the game, he's like, like he's a fullback, oh, yeah. for a running back in football. It's cr- and the refs just there's certain guys that they'll just let it go, and he's one of them. I I haven't seen that compilation that you're talking about, but I think it, it would pro- if you went back to like their first you know championship team in like 2015, I, I bet it would be even worse because you had him and Andrew Bogut just running around like checking dudes. Especially, uh, I actually missed the, the the return of Steph on Sunday. I missed that game, but I did catch um, whatever the you know the Celtics came later in the day, and I watched um, the earlier game that day on ABC. But either way, like I, it's just especially the return of Steph, you're going to get a lot of those. Uh, illegal screens for sure. So I think that's pretty interesting. But um, quickly before I let you go here, I, I wanted to do one quick off-topic segment. I think we're in, you know, the the peak of advertising season, if you will. I would argue. I mean, I think you're, we're entering into March Madness. We're, we're on the heels coming off the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, entering into NBA playoffs. We're we're obviously watching a lot of sports. What is, in your opinion, the absolute worst commercial on TV right now? Uh, so for me, it's the Burger King commercial. <laughs> okay, uh, I was hoping you, you were going to say that. Commercial, you Go know continue. The, uh, jingle. Uh, do, you, do you care to sing it? Can we get you to sing it one time? Is I, it, actually, I mean, I'm trying to think. I can't even remember it off the top of my head. <laughs> it's just it's a whopper, 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 whopper. You're oh, overthinking no, it's, it. It's BK. Oh, oh, the full yeah. jingle. Have it your way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Then the you rule. Yeah. You rule. Yeah. No, I can't forget yeah, that. So. Awful. 
So I I actually don't mind that one as much. They also have a bunch of renditions of that. Um, you know, the Whopper, 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 Whopper one is is certainly the one that kickstarted it and uh, grew legs, if you will. Uh, I think the worst one of the series is probably the most recent one that I've seen, where they just go burger cheese, burger cheese. I don't know if you've seen that one. Like they literally like chant, they you. chanted, they close it the same way. I think it. I think by all accounts, like the the memes behind it and like some of the publicity that it's gotten, I can't hate on it too much because I think from what the outsider's perspective, it Listen, seems to be pretty I'm, successful. I'm a Burger King guy. People hate on Burger oh! King. I like Burger King. I'm a Burger <laughs> okay. King guy. They have the best wow. chicken sandwich in the game. In my Whoa! Yeah, hot, hot takes. Yep. <laughs> that's a really hot take. Yep. Where you yeah, right where you also want to right up there with KFC, Chick Fil A, Popeyes on Burger King for no reason. Oh, yep, them too. Wow, that's that is great. a that is a nobody scorcher. Has, I can I'll, nobody ever has it or talks about it. I've had it a couple times. I've loved it, and I've always liked their chicken there. Wow, we're gonna need it. We might need a follow up. I know the chicken fries were pretty popular. I'm gonna have to go to be like, I'm gonna have to document it and follow up on Twitter. You maybe make post sure you a get clip. The real one though, not like one of like the ones that they've had for a while. I think. Okay, have, so like, they have like a more recent one, one now, like on the menu. Yeah, yeah like they might. You can't don't get the one with the lettuce and tomato on it. That's like their old one. They yeah, that's like their equivalent of like a McChicken because like exactly. McDonald's has like a real chicken sandwich and they got the McChicken that everyone's familiar with. So that's wow. Coming from a Burger King guy though, you don't. No offense, I I feel like you're a dying breed being in the in the Burger King guy. You know, no, sphere. there's not there, many there aren't, us. I, There's not many of you left. Like I don't know if there ever slander. were many. No, Another that's people slander Arby's too. I like Arby's. Wow. And there's not a lot oh of you guys have a lot of Arby's out in Texas. We only have one here in Western Mass. I haven't been there in a while. I like Arby's. Make it make, I'll eat, I'll I think eat you fast roast beef fast food any day of the week. Doesn't matter to me. Wow. I mean, I don't I, I I'm not even prepared to to respond to that right now. I might need to recoup and talk to my Arby's guy. Shout out Brandon. He's really the only Arby's guy I got in my corner. I'm gonna have to uh compare well, and contract. Uh, I actually, you know, when I worked for the Timberwolves, it was like five years ago. They're pretty big on Arby's out there in the Midwest, and people really started to gas it up around the office. And, you know, people were like, oh, you know, we're going to take Wallace and we're going to climb Meat Mountain. And they made me get like a Meat Mountain, which was just a shitload of different deli meat in between, you know, sandwich buns. Like, no condiment, no cheese. I was like, what is this? see on these commercials they have that are just like. I would try it. Horrible. They're, whole, they're putting like yeah. everything on it, and like, I mean, my our friend Peter got food poisoning from the Arby's in Western Mass too. So I mean, I'm not gonna talk wow. too much. I've always <laughs> had good experiences. So go there at your own risk. Yeah, here I was thought we were doing the Lord's work for Arby's, and we just get a quick quick food poisoning review. But anyway, yeah, not a not an Arby's guy. Certainly not a Burger King guy either. But I did. I will say I, I give back to the original question about the the commercial. I do think that. Uh, the Burger King ad campaign has been pretty successful. I did get it. I got the uh, the five dollar your way meal. Um, it was you know good value for a, a workday lunch. You know wasn't too sluggish. It wasn't too much food. But uh, my answer to this question and it's it's hands down like there's one commercial that is reign supreme at pissing me off. I, I I'm glad you mentioned the Burger King one. But uh, the most recent Verizon commercial, if you've seen it, it has. Uh, Cicely Strong, who's the woman that was on SNL for like 10 years, and then Seth Meyers, who's also on SNL, is like really famous. There's a Verizon commercial where, you know, it's on all the time. On I don't know if it's uh, just on my streaming software or what, but like 
They're looking at like puppies for a sec to open it up. And then, you know, they're just sitting on like a giant sign in the road. And they're like, well, I love about Verizon. I love about Verizon. And they go back and forth for like, you know, seemingly forever. It's really only a, a 30 second ad, but there's no point to it. It's really, really obnoxious. Uh, oh, and at the end, the woman is just like, hey, we're sitting on a sign here. And she does like, this dog shit Boston accent that really just drives me nuts. I have like no idea where that came from. And the thing that just drives me nuts is the commercial's horrible. It's, it's, it's a terrible watch. It plays nonstop. So the frequency definitely gets, me, gets on my nerves. Um, and it, it's bad. It doesn't work. Like, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know if I, I black out from the rage, but it's really bad. But I think the worst part about it is that they pay top dollar to bring in two people from SNL, like objectively funny, famous, recognizable people, and then they just make them say the dumbest shit that you can imagine, all and it's it's horrible. These companies that pay all this money for celebrities to come in and do like ad campaigns for them, because how many like how much revenue are they really making off of bringing this person? In? Half the people like when a commercial comes on, like I've probably seen the commercial you're talking about. I look at my phone, I scroll through Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to watch these these commercials and. Like you see how much how much money that these companies probably spent for the Super Bowl just for the ad itself. Oh yeah, like you had Will Ferrell in a commercial. They probably paid him a million dollars. Brian Cranston was in a Pops commercial or Popcorners, I think it's called. Yeah, it was some discount Doritos commercial. It seemed like yeah. it was it was weird though. But yeah, uh, no, I think it's it's interesting. The thing that just drives me nuts is if you're gonna pay top dollar to bring those people on, like especially those people that come from like a sketch comedy background, like, hey, can they give their their like input on on what they're saying to make it like relatively funny? Because it's absolutely terrible, man. It's bad. A lot of bad ads out there now. Not many good one, ones. One more. I don't. This one's been around for a long time. It's a radio commercial. And a TV. It does. It's not on the TV lot. It's the Cars for Kids commercial. Mm, I can't say no. I'm familiar. You might have to enlighten yeah. me. It's just a jingle. Okay. It's just like these kids. It's like to donate your car for kids to go towards. Oh, okay. And it's did they get a like a little children's with... choir action? And we know you exactly. hate kids because of Deuce yeah. Tatum and everything. So you're just exactly. like, ah, oh, Deuce Tatum, and you get pissed. That and, would yeah. be the ultimate like collision of worlds <laughs> if I saw Cars. Deuce for Tatum in a Cars for Kids kid character. Probably, I mean, if you're listening to it on the radio, it's probably they're probably like a, a Boston-based business. Who knows, man? Who knows? Oh yeah, and then right now in Massachusetts, uh, so sports betting's legal now, but just at the casinos. But they go mobile yeah. on Friday soon, this right? Week. The commercials yeah. have just been insufferable. Like the commercials themselves aren't that bad, but I'm talking like every time it goes to commercial, whether it's DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, they're everywhere. Like Kevin Hart's in the DraftKings commercial, and Gronk's in the FanDuel, and God, talk about two just annoying human beings. <laughs> but no, that's pretty much all I had for those are my commercials I could think of. I was well, only that, thinking of it because I said I know there's worse commercials and I just cannot think of them. Right no, now. I think I, I think you so you picked ads. the top dog. You addressed the elephant in the room in the BK commercials. Everyone's got an opinion. It's just I think I've seen enough of the BK where I've I've come full circle and I kind of respect them now because it actually got me to buy a Whopper one time. But I think with that, I think we're we're basically ready to sign off here. Um, RJ Rosazza, it's been a real treat. I should have mentioned earlier, RJ Rosazza, formerly of the JDA pod. You know, are we, can, can I ask the question that we're all thinking? Are we ever, are we ever going to get the band back together? Are we ever so, going to get Dick, Jesse, so and Andy back believe, in the same pod? I believe the last episode we ever did was the episode you were on. I it was pretty close. I think you did one more, like one more after I was on. No, you, I would, I'd rather drop dead than do another podcast with everyone <laughs> and be completely blunt and honest about it. Oh so I don't know if they'll hear this, but that'll that will never happen. Uh, if 
anyone needs me in a guest role occurring, come on every now and then. I'm more than willing to do that, but no, I, <laughs> no thanks. Okay, well, with that, um, well, I, I'm certainly going to take you up on that offer. This was a lot of fun to chop it up Celtics time. As we discussed, I think we both have a pretty high ceiling for the Celtics, so maybe once we get, I'm hoping maybe once we get a little closer to the playoffs, maybe like right before the playoffs start, we can bring you back on and, and discuss the Celtics' yeah, first-round matchup. And me. I want to get John consistently. On. Been a while it was uh, I've done this. It was good to get back on the horse. Absolutely, man. Well, we, we loved having you on. Uh, we will be back next week. I have my friend uh, Ian Kayanja of A to Z Sports Dallas, D Magazine, and a couple other sites uh, on. He's a credentialed uh, media member for the Dallas Mavericks. So we're, we're going to be talking some Mavericks next week. Um, but before you guys go, be sure to follow the podcast everywhere at Words with Wallace on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Music, definitely uh, give me a follow, share the show, tell a friend, and and let me know. Give give us some rate, responses rate here. Review too. Rate yeah, review rate and review. That the algorithm. That, so mm-hmm, we love review that could help you know get on the main feed, not the main feed, but eventually move up yeah. the charts. So I think that's who knows. Love those stars. Podcast. Love those stars. Got to have those stars. Uh, definitely appreciate it. And uh, I will see you guys next week with that. I'm going to hit this button and uh, give me some feedback, too. Definitely let me know um, what ads are pissing you off the most. How do you feel about the Celtics' future and any other segments that we talked on? Uh, I will catch you guys next week.